Hey, what's going on? Welcome to Canucks Talk. Another week. Another week of the show. <laughs> I don't know why. Why did I not get the joke? No, I don't know. It's just like another week of our lives. Here it is. <laughs> it's arrived again. Monday morning. Aren't we all thrilled to be here? Are, are you just on the uh, like pre-Christmas hamster That's wheel? That's exactly what it is. Where you're just like, okay. Three more weeks, baby. Yeah. Three more weeks. And you've like got things to look forward to this weekend, too. So it's yes. just like, okay. This week, this weekend, yeah. Uh, there's some good Canucks games coming on, there man. Are. Yeah. I'm excited. Um, I'm excited, even if you're not. No, always. <laughs> always thrilled to be here. I don't know why this great sense of ennui just set, set into me as I was coming Another under the show. week. Another week of Ooh. our lives. Here we are. Anyways, uh, with that cheery intro, Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite. Find them together online at D-L-E-A-M-C.com. We are coming to you live from the Kintec studio. Kintec Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintec.net, 650-650. Is the Dunbar Lumber text line? Of course, I should mention I'm Jamie Dodd. That's my co-host, Canucks Insider Hello. Thomas Trance, who also covers the team at the Athletic. Marks and Gibson says, "Don't hate on Mondays, or you essentially hate one seventh of your life." That's a good way of looking at it. You don't want to write off one seventh of your life. You definitely don't. Definitely don't want to do that. But also, that's not on you. That's on the system, man. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, all right. Let's uh, let, let's get right into it. We do it every day here to start the show. It is the whiteboard. Your all right now, fellas. Hey, let's focus oh, up. Huh? Yeah. Still, still not getting it. I'm still not getting it. <laughs> We also probably need like a stinger that explains what it is, Jamie. No, well, that's me. That's my job. <laughs> Get it together, Garfield. That's my job. You have a case of the Mondays for sure. I do. <laughs> uh, it's your daily deep dive into with, what's up with, with the Thomas Trance and Lasagna Cat. Yes. I'll get it. I'll get it on the rails here. Don't worry. Don't worry. Uh, for today, December fourth, and we'll start as we always do with the headlines from the weekend, which of course, uh, leading with the Canucks winning a big divisional road matchup four three against the Calgary Flames. And for my, you know, we won't spend a, a ton of time on this. Obviously, it's a couple days ago at this point. We got lots to get into later on in the whiteboard. But my kind of big picture performance, you know, I, not like a, a brilliant performance, not a uh, not a, a Mona Lisa, certainly by the Canucks, but win a pretty tight road game with, you know, look, the Canucks are heavy favorites, and we'll talk about this more um, in the playoff odds section of the whiteboard. But, you know, still a divisional road game and they find a way to come away with two points from it. And it was an important one, I think, for a lot of reasons. And they found a way to get the win in it. Yeah, I thought it was measured, right? Like, it was just a measured, controlled performance. They were the better team throughout. Um, you it was know, a tight game. Like, I, I just, And maybe part of that, it was like, the Canucks are struggling to generate five-on-five five offense right now. Yeah. The Flames aren't a good five-on-five five offensive team well, in I'll, terms of at least finishing, you know? And I was just I'll, like... Although, I'll be honest with you, I felt like the Flames generated more than I expected given that they're the Flames and also given that the Canucks have been pretty hard you know I mean when you list the things you believe in about this team right it's like star players power play goaltending you know those those are obviously going to be the first three and then it's like forward depth and frankly like team defensive play mm, you know mm-hmm. Absent the power play, but team defensive play. Like, typically speaking, all season, one of the outs we've been talking about, one of the reasons this team's floor has been pretty high, one of the reasons they've withstood this sort of stretch where they've, 
no no longer been running downhill or had the like what what they've sustained a bunch of regression in part because on a night-to-night basis, they're pretty hard to break down, and I, I felt like the Flames were able to move as a team through the neutral zone with control of the puck and typically work the puck into pretty dangerous areas. Like I thought, Dem- I don't think Demko had an easy night by any means, and I thought he was maybe better than like the save percentage or, or mm. underlying numbers would suggest. I thought the Flames generated like a, a fair number of, of pretty dangerous scoring opportunities, and some that were you know not goals but were like backdoor deflections that just missed or um, it it just felt to me like the Canucks were surrendering some chances that they hadn't been through much of the year to this point and that sort of makes me think like today's a team day off two days off between games and the last week in particular watching this team Vegas Calgary I I really thought they looked tired Mm. like I think this two days off this team day off today Man, I feel like that came at the exact right moment for this club. I, f- I feel like they need it very badly. Yeah, well, we've talked. I mean, obviously, we've heard a lot of conversation as well about the condensed schedule. And now they're home for five games coming up here, as you said, two days off between that one. In Calgary, they play New Jersey tomorrow. And in that stretch, you know, they'll they'll go Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday this week, then another Tuesday, two days off, then yeah. Tuesday, Thursday before they go out on the road. Then the schedule bunches up again there with a back-to-back and a three and four. But you hope hope that the these next kind of two weeks at home can give them a little bit of a chance to get their legs under them and shake off some of that tiredness. Yeah, you know, and my my general view in like handicapping the schedule is you never want to be home for too long or away for too mm. long. You know, like a, you want both to be sort of in short bursts, but yeah, I mean this next stretch, 5 games, 10 days, that's like 11 days if you include today's day off, right? 12, like 5 and 12 going back to yesterday. That's a really good time to get right, to get rest, you know, especially with Zadorov coming in. Rick Tockett specifically noted that he felt like some of his players were, you know, worn down Yep. as a result of the minutes workload that Vancouver's top players have played. So, I, I again, this, this day off, this stretch comes at the right time because I do think the Canucks were looking a little ragged just from an energy level perspective uh, the last two games because I, I really did think their defensive play was – and this is – sometimes I'll come in and be like, they won, but I was concerned. Like, I'm not concerned about this team's defensive play. They've done it so often, and, mm. and it's been pretty rare that they've looked like I thought they looked against Calgary. So it's not a concern for me. I just wonder if they're – a little bit tired and, and probably bounce back. They'll need to bounce back because they've got some pretty high-octane offensive teams coming in, including the one they face tomorrow in the New Jersey Now, Devils. the other big piece of the game on Saturday, of course, the debut of Nikita Zadorov. And to tie that into the, the fatigue conversation, right, we'd heard Rick Tockett talk about you know, we're just they were just leaning on Hughes, mm. Fronick, Myers, Ian Cole a little too heavily. You needed that other credible guy that you could slide right into the lineup. And, you know, Zadorov comes in and immediately takes on a, a pretty significant workload for the team, you know, featuring on the penalty kill, all of that. What did you think of uh, of his first game in Canucks colors? I thought I thought it was quiet in a good way. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I thought that the, the the chaos I'm anticipating if the Canucks spend a lot of time playing Zadorov-Myers like wasn't there. I thought that that pair had a pretty quiet overall game. 
Um, in a good way, again, for defensemen. You say a forward had a quiet game, it's an insult. You say a defenseman right. had a quiet game, it's typically Especially a, a bottom of the lineup, more, or like towards the bottom of the lineup defenseman. Yeah. Right? Like it's one, if you're talking Quinn Hughes or Philip Peronick having a quiet game, that might be more concerning. But yeah. once you get beyond that, it's like, yeah, be quiet. Be as quiet as possible. Yeah. And, you know, you, you sort of look at the, like, I mean, he, um, he was the third most or fourth most used Canucks defenseman five on five so that reduces Ian Cole's yep. burden and then the Canucks outshoot the Flames 7-2 with Ian Cole on the ice right and it's like that's not Zadorov's form but it's part of what happens when all of a sudden guys yep. are slotted a little bit differently and that's sort of the impact of bringing in a guy like Zadorov is you know Zadorov's not a pair driver but can he hold up as a second pair guy mm-hmm. and does that create benefits in terms of resting Hirona Hughes, who didn't play as much as they have sometimes, given that it was a close game on Saturday. And and does it create easier sliding for like Juleson Cole? Yep. And does that help you and net? I think you could see that like theory theory in practice on Saturday. My biggest takeaway, yeah, it wasn't really anything specific to what Nikita Zadorov did. It was just the fact that they had five, no doubt about it, very credible NHL defensemen in the lineup where for the previous stretch, they'd only had four, right? And you just saw the domino effect that that has. And look, we'll get more of a chance to see how the coaching staff wants to use Zadorov. You know, we're obviously, Tockett is very, very excited about the physical attributes and the style that Zadorov can play. But I think always in the short term, the biggest impact, it wasn't going to be anything specific to Zadorov. They just needed a guy. Like, they yep. needed a fifth NHL defenseman, a credible, no doubt about it, fifth NHL defenseman in a big, big way. And I think you saw that immediately in that game. It's just so much easier when you have, like, one Noah Juleson in the lineup as opposed to two. It gets so much harder to manage those minutes. Two Noah Julesons. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> you know what I mean. I do. But I also have this idea that, like um, – Adam Foote comes to like Rick and Patrick Alvine and he's like, guys, I've got bad news. Like we cloned the wrong guy. <laughs> we we're supposed to do Quinn Hughes and instead. <laughs> Noah Juleson. Um, one other thing, and I, you know, we can get into this in other segments, so I don't want to dwell yep. on it too long, but we should note that that was a big get right game. In my opinion, for Elias Pettersson, mm. I thought he was the best player on the ice. I thought it was the usual ice tilting domineering form we've seen from him. Um, and I don't know that the Miller Kuzmenko Besser experiment is one that I've got a lot of time for, but Pedersen with two really fast guys who do good defensive work is something I might be here for. So, uh, you know, just, uh, just one of those things I'm continuing to track as Kuzmenko's role evolves, um, with, with how this Canucks season is, is trending. You know, I I think it's worth noting like Lafferty, Mikheyev, Pedersen, in my mind's eye anyway, like that looked really good and I thought it looked good on Pedersen. I thought he played his best game in weeks. I, I do also wonder what that could mean for Pedersen taking on more of a matchup role if all of a sudden it's Mikheyev and Lafferty next to him, right? As well, you said, fast guys, defensively and, reliable. And that that probably needs to like the, yeah. that honestly probably needs to happen. If Especially if Kuzmenko's beside Miller, then right? Like it kind of makes sense that you're transferring the the matchup minutes to uh to the Pedersen lineup at that point. But we can get into that more, but we should, speaking of Pedersen, uh, mm-hmm. we should move on to the broadsheet, the rumor segment 
of the whiteboard. And to to set us up here, because this was first reported by Elliot Friedman on Saturday on Hockey Night in Canada that Patrick Alvin and Elias Pettersson had a recent face-to-face sit-down and a recent meeting. And Friedman gave a little bit more detail and a little bit more context on that report today uh, on our pals Donnie and Dolly show on Czech TV. Here's what Elliot Friedman had to say today about that. Well, you know, Alvin, when I reached out to him, he didn't want to talk about it, Rick. He, he basically just said, look, like, I don't discuss private conversations I have with players. But I believe you reported last week that Pat Brisson, who represents Pedersen, uh, met with Alvin as well. I think it was in Colorado. Yeah. Um, I think that I think that's where uh, Pedersen and Alvin met, but I'm not 100% certain. Um, you know, obviously, Pedersen had a blistering pace to start the season. I don't think anybody expected him to keep that up. I just don't know if it's uh, humanly possible to do that. But, uh, you know, his, his, his production had, had tailed off a little bit. Um, I know there's been a lot of questions about whether he's playing hurt. I just think Alvin wanted to meet with him, just a general check-in, make sure everything uh, was all right, hear what he had to say. And uh, But I do think he reiterated there that the Canucks are want to sign him and they want to start conversations about signing him. Look, I know there's a lot about they have a lot of time. Yes, yes, they do. They do have a lot of time. He's not a unrestricted free agent until July of 2025. But, you know, you live in a noisy market, which, Rick, is all your fault. And <laughs> nobody wants next year. Uh, nobody wants next year to go into it where there's uncertainty about what his contract status is. So I think, you know, the Canucks just reiterated to him that they are committed to him and they want to sign him. And, uh, you know, whenever he wants to sit down and do it, uh, they are going to be ready for him to do it. So that's Elliot Friedman earlier today on uh, Check TV on Donnie and Dolly going into a little bit more detail about Patrick Alvin Canucks GM meeting with Elias Pettersson and really fascinating. I think there's a lot of different layers here, you know, explicitly connecting it to the slowdown in production, which obviously, you know, we spent a lot of time talking about last week and especially sure. on Friday's show. I think that's fascinating. I think the the kind of reiterating like, hey, whenever you're ready, we're here. Just a lot of layers to unpack to this one. So I'm of two minds because I agree with you. It's a fascinating nugget. Now, on the one hand, there's the layers that you alluded to. And on the other, there's the point you made at the end, which is the the idea that the ball's still in Pedersen's mm-hmm. court. And that, to me, is stasis. That's like we've occasionally tracked evolutions of this story over the past month. And it's like fundamentally, it seems like nothing's changed. Has it changed. actually changed? There's been like signs or hints that it might have changed but then recently over the last couple of weeks it feels like or is well, that, actually maybe it didn't or does that reflect internal optimism at various points but not a material change well that's what i mean like signs that it might have changed but actually turns out not to have yeah you know what i mean well and and you know i think the the one guy we're probably whose thoughts we're probably never going to hear about this from in, in terms of like it leaking through the media is Pedersen. Like, this guy's super guarded. He's been more guarded this year than I've ever seen in the past in terms of his handling of media, his dealing with media. Um, so, you know, I think the, 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 what, what this really makes me, like, my first blush reaction to this when I heard it on Saturday night mm-hmm. was that it reminded me a little bit of when the Twins were negotiating with the Canucks back in 2009. Okay. So long time ago, mm-hmm. and there's a, a meeting, and it happens to be CAA. JP Barry was was their agent, is sort of on the file as the second to Pat Brisson with Pedersen. Uh, they they have this terrible meeting that like blows up basically between Canucks management and and JP Barry in Montreal. And there's a meeting after the fact, and it's like a bunch of Canucks lieutenants sort of step up, uh, Stan Smeal, 
um, among them, Lawrence Gilman among them, and and basically say like, look, this went badly, but we we probably should go to Sweden before the market opens because if this, this is advising Mike Gillis yeah. at the time, yeah, well, right, because if this doesn't go our way, we at least need to be able to look at the fans and say we did absolutely everything in our power to get these deals done. Mm. Now, as it transpires, the the Lawrence Gilman and Mike Gillis get on the plane and JP Barry's in the seat beside them and they arrive at, in Sweden and it's pretty clear that the twins never had any intention of leaving anyway and things get done relatively quickly. But part of the genesis of that trip was, hey, we need to be seen to do everything possible to get this deal done. Now, I'm not alluding to, again, this is this is not a story that should, like, that spin shouldn't be taken as negative. Like, just as I said, the Canucks were thinking about the PR perspective and then got the deal done But also quickly. wanted to get the deal done. But yeah. also wanted to get yeah. the deal done quickly. But, I mean, it does seem odd to me that this would come out because, like, who who's served by this, right? Like, why does the club want to be seen to put the ball back in Pedersen's court at this point? Like, that to me is a little bit odd, um, but but smacks almost of, you know, uh, uh, like managing public perception around it as opposed to being progress, which certainly Friedman didn't frame it as. No, it's. I think it kind of explicitly was not framed right. as, as progress, right? And it's stasis. You know, obviously the important contextual differences between the story you're laying out there with Gillis and the Sedins and right now is like they're UFAs. This is like moments before or minutes or days or whatever before sure. the market opens. And that's a really important, uh, important difference. But it is like, look, but this they're, is- they're ex- he's extension eligible. He's been yep. extension eligible for three, four months. Um, you know, you're right. Obviously, it is different. But the the framing, the way that it like becomes public, the attention to being seen to do this, right, to be like what, what I, I'm just so confused as to why this got out. You know what I mean? But it's got to serve some purpose. And the other interesting nugget there, I thought from uh, from Friedman was just the acknowledgement that as much as the public facing thing is, you know, from the Canucks is, hey, we have so much time, not a UFA until 2025. And look, obviously this is the case, but I still think it's useful to hear it from Elliot Friedman that. There is a there is a, no nobody at least in the organization wants this to go into next season with Elias Pettersson's long term future up in the air. Which of course, but you're not counting Elias Pettersson because from what we understand, he's at least willing to go into the off season based on what he's said publicly and how this has unfolded over the last uh, unfolded over the last three months. It does seem like, you know, he's not in a rush. Right. Well, no. I mean, he's clearly not in a rush, or, or at least based on the evidence that we have at hand. Now, that doesn't mean a deal. Based on get what done, he said, but his only yeah. public commentary on the matter, right? Like, you know. So, until until that changes materially, um, outside of on or, or organizational feeling, like I think we should take him at his word. So that's the latest on uh, the Elias Pettersson situation. We should. There's some other news and or rumblings that we can get into later in the show. But we've got to hit a few more items here <laughs> in the whiteboard. Uh, lineup notes. Day off for the team, so nothing to really dig into for morning skate. Did just want to touch on a little bit of prospect news that I know is making some waves on social media among Canucks fans today. Uh, of course, recent draft pick defensive prospect Hunter Brustevich not on Team USA's preliminary World Junior roster despite lighting it up in the OHL. And of course, this is not necessarily a big surprise because of 
the way and the illogical way sometimes that these world junior rosters and camps get put together. He's an OHL guy, not a college guy, not currently with the national development team, and that always plays a role in these decisions. Yeah, that one. I mean, the the U.S. national team famous for leaving Keith Yandel and Dustin Bufflin, like the mm-hmm. offensive defenseman being left off of a roster um, by Team USA, but also by Team Canada, is like a, a famous thing that makes hockey twitter mad <laughs> yep. so we've got one uh a Can- one with a canucks flavor and hunter brustevich obviously dominating the um the ohl but uh but left off of this roster uh, you know the thing to there's so much different there's so many different layers to unpack here but you know part of it is there are u.s national development team politics where it is a little harder to get invited to team usa if you go the a CHL yep. route, and by the way, it's kind of the opposite for Hockey Canada. Oh, 100%. This now, is not just like a, a US, USA Hockey failing. No, no, no. Like, Hockey Canada, it's harder to make the team as an NCAA player, although we obviously do see it happen, and and vice versa, right? Like, Pat, Pat Kane still represented Team USA. So, you know, it's not... That's not, like, the only reason, but that's definitely part of it. I, I do think the other thing to note here is you've got a lot of, like... Hunter Brustevich's standout skill is running the power play. Mm. But he's not going to do that on a team that has Lane Hudson and, um, you know, Zeev Bum out of uh, out of Denver, right? Like, there's uh, S- S- Seamus Casey as well, right? So it's like the, the construction, the composition of this year's Team USA U20 club makes the thing that Brustevich is best at slightly redundant. And that also hurt his chances. So those are the two things. Don't read anything into it. Like, truly, it doesn't matter in terms of Bruce Devich having no. popped in a major yeah. way this season. He He's still on a trajectory that has him looking like a, a day-two steal for the Canucks at you know, the 2023 NHL entry draft. Quick playoff forecast update after the win over the weekend. Canucks back up to a 92% chance to make the playoffs per your guy Dom's model at The Athletic. (laughs) Per Uh, my guy Dom's model? Yeah. That's his legal name. Your guy Dom's (laughs) model. Dom's Uh, his middle name. (laughs) His first name is your guy. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Point projection of 102 points. Calgary, because this is the other point. The, The one thing the Canucks have done really, really well recently is distribute their wins and their losses, right? You think of the back-to-back killed it against the Kraken and the Sharks and you beat Seattle and lose to San Jose and everyone's like oh how do you lose to the Sharks it's like well that's way preferable than losing to the Kraken in this situation and then here uh beating the Flames because they secured the split yeah right like you know I'm not breaking news and this shouldn't be a hot take this team hasn't been at its best for about a month now in terms of what we saw the first month of the season versus the last month but Splitting with the Kraken, splitting with the Flames, that's effectively allowed them to, you know, keep their hands on the scale, oh, yeah. right? Keep those teams from shooting up the standings. So they're at 92%. Edmonton right now is sitting at 69%. Oh, you took a drink of coffee right at the wrong time. 35, 35 plus 34? What are you trying to say? No, just say it. Nice. Yes, there we go. Uh, Minnesota is at 47%, Nashville at 40%. So basically, just to spell it out a little bit here, what would have to happen at this stage for the Canucks to miss the playoffs, and obviously at 92%, they're heavy, heavy, heavy favorites. We all understand that. We can all look at the standings. But basically, you're looking at Edmonton would have to jump them, then two, two of the Minnesota, Calgary, Nashville group 
And Edmonton, okay, I can buy that. The two of those other three teams, which are all below 50% to make the playoffs right now. Minnesota, like, Nashville, Nashville, Calgary. Calgary. No, nah, I don't see it. Like, like, do any of those teams inspire fear in anyone that they're chasing? Like, I don't think so. No. I, no. I mean, Minnesota feels like a team that could get right and get hot, mm-hmm. but they're pretty far back. Yeah. Like, they could get hot and finish with, like, 95 points and if, catch it, somebody. I, but I, are they going to catch the Canucks? That's the thing. Totally. I you know. And, and I think in each case, it's like if they were like the Canucks have a 10 point lead over the Flames. Like if the Flames had won on Saturday. Yes. Then I'm like, oh, maybe yeah. I could at least see it, even though I can't really see it with Calgary. Um, and, you know, if Minnesota was within five, seven points, maybe. But they're not. No, it's it's a bigger margin than that. So um, th- that said, they play twice. They play twice. Like, if Minnesota beats the Canucks both those times, then that gap becomes narrow enough that you can see it. Got to keep distributing those wins and losses. Unlikely. Right? At the end of the day, unlikely. Very unlikely. I, I mean, I think the About Canucks About an 8% are... chance, probably. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> uh, minus 450 to make the playoffs, according to Vegas. So let's move to yeah. the betting odds. Minus 450 today uh, in terms of their um, uh, playoff odds. They're to make the playoffs future. So that's a pretty significant odds but that's not like dom's model would would find value at minus 450 because that's about a 82 percent implied probability so yeah i mean whether you think it's 20 percent, whether you think it's nine percent pretty unlikely this canucks team is trending and looking like a playoff team and i I think we've actually seen that even as this team hasn't been necessarily at its best quote unquote over the last month Plus 275, though, to win the division. That's actually down from where it was in the lead-up to that game against mm-hmm. Vegas last week. I think that makes sense, given what we saw from Vegas, both against the Canucks, but also from the LA Kings this weekend. That was a pretty scary um, flex. They're good. They're very good. Yeah, pretty scary flex over the Colorado Avalanche. Uh, points over under. I just want to highlight this All one right. before we move on. Set at 98.5, which is up from 96.5 last week, where we were saying we thought it had good value. What do you think? 98.5. That's would, a 95-point pace the rest of I'd the way. I'd still take the over. Yeah. Yeah, I would. I, I I think that it's now at a point where I wouldn't see value there. Mm. 96.5 That's I thought a was a smash. For you. Yeah. 98.5 feels right. That's a 95-point pace over the balance of the season. I think that's roughly in line with this team's true quality. I think Vegas has caught up to what the Canucks are. Uh, All right, that is the whiteboard for December 4th. We will get into uh, lots of things happening around the Canucks with our guy Brendan Batchelor here next on Canucks Talk, Sportsnet 650.